You know, uh, it was a couple of days ago, I was reading this article, um, and it was like just like this joke article about uh, words that have defined our modern, modern culture. And uh, the first thing, or the first word that uh, the article said is that we are a cancel culture. Would you agree with that? Um, if someone says or writes the wrong thing, it is, it is over for them, right? Um, I don't know about you, but it is pretty terrifying and yet extremely intriguing when somebody famous completely disappears because of a bad tweet or because of a bad message, right? It also, the article also says that we are a culture of FOMO, right? Or fear of missing out. It's that anxious feeling that you get when you feel other people might be having a good time without you. For me personally, uh, I don't have FOMO. It's just that uh, if I can't have a good time, then I don't want anyone else to have a good time either, okay? Uh, but what was interesting is that at the end uh, of the article, it all of a sudden becomes kind of serious. And the article says that um, our culture and our generation can be defined as the generation that takes but does not give. Now, at this point, I felt personally attacked, so I just stopped reading. Um, but for some reason, as time went on, I, I just, I kept on thinking about that. I kept on thinking about that last statement, and I realized that the reason I was thinking about that was because I kind of knew that it was true. I, I kind of knew that we, we are a generation that focuses more on what we can get, on how much we can take, on what is best for us. And what's interesting is that I have read multiple articles and papers back in seminary that say that theologians were thinking the same thing when it comes to the modern church as well. That this type of thinking of what, can, what is best for me, about what I can take, about what I can receive, that type of thinking has not only gone into the world, it has gone into every Christian, it has gone to each one of us as we enter into the church doors. Look, I think we all know people that when they finish their service and they walk out, they have the audacity to say, I didn't get anything out of worship today. We know people who come into church, and if they don't like the songs, then praise is just kind of whatever to them. Or maybe they see who's preaching that week, and if it's not who they want, then they just kind of, uh, they just kind of tune out. However, you will miss the essence of worship if the only question on your mind is, what am I going to get out of this? Worship is not about what you primarily can get. It's not about what, what blessing you can receive. It's not about what breakthrough you can receive. It's not about what sermon you can receive. Worship is not about what you can get. Rather, it is about what you can give back to the God who has given you everything. It is understanding the mindset that when you walk into these doors and when you're singing praises to him, that when you're hearing the sermon, it's saying, God, you have done everything for me. That you have done all these different things. That your character is good. That your love is unfailing. That you are all powerful. That I am your son. That I am your daughter. That you are my father. And that is why I am here to worship you. Do you see how that mindset is so different than what can I get? 
what can I receive? Why is this praise something? Why, why are we doing this song? Why are we hearing this sermon? I didn't get anything from worship today. See, this is the essence of worship, church. And when you read through the Psalms, you're going to realize that when, they, when, when the psalmist talks about worship, it is always focused upon who God is, upon his character, and what he has done. Because when we come into church and when we worship God, that should be our first mindset as well. God, you are so good. And so in this moment, I am going to give thanks for all that you have done. That's it. See, Psalm 147, it's about, it's a psalm that talks about what it means to worship God. And the main point is this, that worship is not about us, it's all about God. I worship God not so that I can receive, but because I desire to give to the Lord. I worship God not so that I can take, but so that I can serve him. It's that whole idea of, man, I'm going to just simply rest and, and give to the Lord and serve to the Lord because I know that God will be pleased with that. And so we're going to go just through uh, three simple things. First is who we worship. Second is why we worship. And third is how to worship. Now, there's this command that's given uh, that begins and ends this psalm. It's, it's three simple words, praise the Lord. Now, in English, it's, it's three words, but in the Hebrew, in the original language, it's actually only one word. And that word is hallelujah. Now, this word hallelujah, it can actually be separated into two parts. The first part is the word halal. The word halal, it simply means to boast in or to find your significance in. Now, there are studies that show that humans have a deep-seated desire for significance. And it is so important that it's considered a basic human need. That if we do not think that our lives are significant, then we also will feel that our lives are not worth living. And so what happens is that we find our significance and we find our value by attaching ourselves to something that we think is valuable. And so how that happens is, look, when we try to find the best job, when we try to go to our career, we think that our career is valuable and that's where we place our value in. And so we identify with that. And so that becomes our boast. That becomes what we find value in. For our role in our family, if we are a mother, a father, a child, that we find our significance in that role. And so therefore we are connected to that. Everyone says, because I'm connected to this, I have importance and I have significance. We are made to boast in something. That's what halal means. Now, the command, though, isn't just a halal. The command is hallelujah. Another way, another way of saying hallelujah means uh, is saying halal Yahweh. Praise the Lord means to boast in Yahweh. It means to find your significance in Yahweh. It means to understand that your identity is based in Yahweh. You know, there's two main names for God that's used in the Bible. 
The first is Elohim. And that's just a general word for God. It's used for almost, you know, everything that you can do. But, but the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh, is a special name given from God to his specific people. It was a name first used in the burning bush when God, he says, I am Yahweh. It is a, is a way where we can identify ourselves as his people. Therefore, praising the Lord, or hallelujah, is a command for us to recognize what we are boasting in. For an entire week, I know that many of us have been busy with our families, we have been busy with our studies, and we have been busy with our work. And whether you realize it or not, while we have been dealing with those things, they have been pulling at your heart to find your significance in them. But when the psalm says, hallelujah, praise the Lord, what they're saying is that, look, it's time for you to turn back to the Lord to realize that your relationship with God is the most important thing. And so find your significance in him. That's it. He's not just a God to you. He's not just Elohim to you. He is Yahweh, the God who knows you, who loves you, and is deeply committed to you. And so praise him, worship him, focus upon him. Hallelujah. See, the reason why we're called to worship God and place our significance in him is because he's beautiful. And that's what this passage says here. Let me read to you verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. You see, the psalm says that we are called to worship God for it is fitting. The word fitting in the Hebrew, it literally means beautiful. It's a word that describes something wonderful and beautiful to be staring at or to be longing for. So this psalm is saying that we should be worshiping God because he is beautiful. Now the question becomes, what does it mean to find God beautiful? Well, I think if we just look at the definition of beauty, then I can explain it to you. You see, beauty is simply defined as an in-moment experience that satisfies and fulfills the heart. In other words, something is beautiful when we're filled just by looking at it. Let me give you an example. Summer is about to begin, right? Or, I mean, I guess it has begun, but the summer break is about to begin. And I know a lot of us, what ends up happening is that we spend a lot of money, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, going on a plane, taking off work, going through all that security, renting out a hotel, doing all of these things, simply so that we can look at an ocean, right? That's what we do. And yet the reason why we're willing to spend so much money, so much time, and so much effort is because when we see the ocean, when we see something that beautiful, for some reason, our hearts are filled. It's different than when we're just here, right? That there's this, there's this satisfaction that we have when we're looking at something beautiful. It's not because the ocean is giving something back to us. It's not that it somehow will, 
enrich, give us more money or something like that. No, just for us just looking at it, that's what gives us fulfillment. You see, church, the Bible tells us that there is only one thing that will fill our souls. There's only one thing that will bring true contentment to our identity and to our significance, and it is in the character of God. That when we worship God, we are gazing at the beauty of God, and we're saying, look, no matter what else, we're willing to sacrifice our money, we're willing to sacrifice our time and our resources, because God, this is where I find my contentment. If we're willing to spend money and time and resources on traveling to this other part of the world in order to look at the ocean, then God, how much more important are you that my soul needs to be filled and you are the only one that can fill it? And so in this time, more than me asking for different things, more than me petitioning for these things, I'm going to sit here and gaze upon your beauty, gaze upon your character, and be content in that because I know that you are the only one that can fulfill me. I know that you are the only thing, the only person, the only one who can bring true satisfaction to my soul. And I know that for many of us, this has been, this, this type of thinking, it's, it's easy to, to hear, but it's difficult to implement. And it's difficult to implement because of what we talked before, that we are a culture that, that takes but rarely ever gives. And so for a lot of us, we come into church and we think just the way the world thinks and we say, look, we barely focus on the character of God. We barely focus on our love for God. And we immediately go to, God, what can you give us? God, what can you give me in this time? Where's my breakthrough? Where's, my, where, where's the things that I want? And when that happens, our relationship with God turns from one of love to one of business. And you see, a relationship with a person who you love is drastically different than a relationship with a business partner. We know that. With a business, part, with a business partner, you don't have time to talk about life. You don't, even, you don't want to talk about life. You're going to ask what the goals and the outcomes are of a particular project because in that moment, what you're looking for is the end goal, which is money. Your meeting consists of getting work done. That's business. But with someone you love, you don't say, hey, let's meet for dinner, but first let's uh, talk about the outcome of why we want to meet for dinner. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Hey, hey, baby, like, let's, let's hang out, but what, what are the outcomes for that? What, what are the deliverables that you're going to give me if, if we go on this, right? When you love someone, the relationship is the end goal. There's nothing more than that. There's, no, there's, not, there's not something that you're trying to take from them. In fact, you want to give. You want to praise them. You want to compliment them because you desire their happiness above yourself. That is a love relationship. And yet for so many of us, we have turned our love relationship with God into a business one. Because we have forgot this one thing, that worship isn't about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. And so when you go to God with that type of mindset, with that paradigm shift of saying, God, I'm going to come before you because I'm simply thankful for all that you have done and all the things that you have done for me. Then, man, that is what happens when a love relationship occurs. Because you're going to be 
complimenting, praising, adoring God. And that should be your basis for how you worship him. Of course, petition is good. Of course, asking God for things. Yes, God says that. Ask and you will, and you will find. He says that. He, he, he wants to hear your prayers. But your basis should not be that. That should not be where you're coming from. That should not be the foundation of who you are. The foundation is observing, gazing, understanding the beauty of God and saying, yes, I'm going to rest in that. I'm going to trust in that. God, thank you for all that you've done. You see, when verse 1 says that we should praise God because he is beautiful, it's saying that we should, that when we praise God, remember what he's done for you. Remember that you love him. Remember what he's done for you. Remember that you will be sad. I know it sounds strange when I say, remember that you love him. But, man, I've, I've seen enough, um, you know, documentaries and whatever to know that if you're married, that makes sense, right? Remember. Because I know that over time, a lot of times you can forget that. That even when you're married for a long time, that you kind of forget to love your partner. And so even with this, remember that you should love God. Remember that you should focus upon him. Remember, that, remember the good things about him. Remember what he's done in your life. You know, yesterday I had met with some church members, and, and we were sharing our testimonies. And, man, it was, it was a powerful time. Because what I realized during when we were talking and just talking about all these things is that God, he met us in such personal ways, in such different ways, that thing, ways that I could never have imagined. And yet the end result was the same, is that for each one of us, our lives were drastically changed. That God had saved us. That he had met us in the place that we needed to be met. And yet at the end of the day, he has changed our lives for the better. And it was such a blessing, and it filled me to hear those things. Remember what God has done in your life. And so now, finally, the question becomes, well, if that is what it means to find beauty in God, and that is what it means to worship him, how do we exactly do that? How do we worship him? It's found in verses 10 through 11. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. You see, back then, every country's pride, every country's boast, every country's significance was found in their army. The bigger the army, the more powerful the country. And so everyone's identity and everyone's significance was in their soldiers and in their weapons. But the whole point of this psalm and the whole point of what God is trying to tell us when it comes to worshiping him and our relationship with him is that God does not care and he does not respond to human strength. His delight is not in human strength. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He does not delight in the strength of our legs. He delights in those who are humble, who fear him, and who hope in his steadfast love. Steadfast love is the Hebrew, Hebrew word hesed, which is the word for covenantal love. 
It is an unconditional and unfailing love. And it means that whatever situation that you are in, it means that no matter what mistake that you have made, that God's love for you is not going to end, that it will not fail. It comes from Romans 8.39. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the thing is, it's not based upon your strength. The reason it's not going to fail is because it's not based on our army. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on our abilities. It is based upon the character of God, upon what he has done for us. That is why it's a said. That's why it's unfailing. That's why we can trust in that. And so God, he is constantly saying, trust in me, trust in my unfailing love, because that is the only thing that will keep you afloat in any situation. That is what it means to worship God. It is when we move our significance and our identity from our own strength and we place it upon what God has done and said to each one of us. I'm just going to end with a couple application points. The first one is that for us, rest, biblical rest, is found outside of ourselves. Look, the world is going to constantly say this one thing. The reason why you are burnt out is because you are not focusing enough on yourself. It is because you need to do more self-care. It is because you need to focus more on how you can find your own inner peace. And yet the Bible says the exact opposite. That you should actually be focusing outside of yourself. That the reason why you are so burnt out is because you are only focusing within. There's that famous passage, come to me all who are weary for I will give you rest. It's not come to yourself for you will find rest. No. Come to God. Serve him. Serve his people. And in that way, you will find true rest for your soul. The more we focus on God and the more we think about giving rather than getting, the more filled we will become. Church, worship is the same way. Worship is the same way. When you walk into these doors, when you are able to focus upon what God has done, upon who God is, upon being thankful for all that he's done, man, that, that's going to transform your worship. And I would say that if you're coming here and you're asking God, what can you give me, then you are missing the very essence of what worship is. And you will never be able to get what God has intended for you to receive. And secondly, worshiping God by finding contentment in his character more than your own strength is going to be difficult. Very, very rarely is it ever just a switch that turns. More often than not, it is a process of refinement, of coming here and of stealing your mind, of making habits and saying, God, I'm going to stop thinking about myself. I'm going to stop putting myself in the center, and I'm going to put you and your people first. The reason I say this is because at the end of this passage, the people of God are called Jacob. It says, oh, Jacob. And it's a bit unusual when you think about it because, you see, Jacob, he didn't have a very easy life. In fact, you could say that the pinnacle of his life 
was in that one moment when he was wrestling God. And it was the pinnacle of his life because scholars say that through his entire life, he had been wrestling with all these different sins and mistakes that he had committed. That he was wrestling against his father, that he was wrestling against his brother. But finally, he wrestles with God and realizes in that moment that God is the only one who could, who could bring true healing into his life. Who could bring true satisfaction to him. And so they say, scholars say, like, look, God calls us Jacob to show that understanding of worship is not going to happen in one day. It's going to take time. It's going to take conversations. And yet, the most important thing is that from now on, pray to the Lord, ask him for help, and that he will slowly begin to change your heart. God is working in your life. So pray and praise and worship the Lord. Amen? Yeah, let's pray.